0: Hi and welcome back to Strategically Winging It. My name is Sonia Barlow and today I'm joined by our guest Gael Kutu who is a woman in tech based in France and the founder of Rosa Newsletter. Gael, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Sonia. So before we started the show, you said that this was your first time on a podcast. How does it feel? What is the experience so far, let's say?
1: I'm a little bit nervous, but you did a great job uh, reassuring me. So I hope it will go well.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. So you spoke about being the founder of Rosa, a mm-hmm. newsletter that strives for women's empowerment, um, as well as Femme Fatale, an e-commerce platform for women-led brands. So, of course, I'm reading this off the submission that you shared uh before we started the podcast it'll be great if you could go into a little bit about what is rosa um and and most importantly how did you get into technology considering you have a fashion
1: background okay um so yes um so like you said i'm the founder of rosa which is a newsletter that i send once a month uh in french to people uh actually women and non-binary people um, to talk to them about anything related to politics, uh, economics, but also sexuality. Um, And and the the aim is to educate, empower, and also uh, entertain. So that's the purpose of Rosa. Um, I started to create Rosa and I have the idea to create it because I figured that um, I wasn't really related to anything that I was reading in the press. Uh, there was focus on people, on sensational um, topics, and um, I wanted to read something that I could relate to.
0: If I was to paraphrase, when mm-hmm. you, said you started the newsletter, because you couldn't find those conversations happening outside, and then you spoke about politics, for example. Is that a core cool conversation that you feel you aren't a part of because you are a woman or is it because you're a black woman or is it because you're based in France or was it because you came from a fashion industry? Um, you know Why Why were you even searching for these conversations?
1: I think that um, when, whenever you read the newspaper or listen to a podcast, there is always um, a line or a point of view, um, that it's not really transparent, but that exists and it's quite mainstream and it's not really reflecting what uh, women my age are thinking when it comes to sexuality or economics. I think that uh, as a woman of um, the millennial generation, I'm quite progressive when it comes to sexuality. I don't know, being uh, in a couple with a woman or a man or whatever. And these kind of opinions are not really represented in the press.
0: Yeah. And, and so I'm obviously, um, well, it's not obvious, actually. I'm based mm-hmm. in the UK in London when we're recording. Mm-hmm. That's where I live. And you're based in Paris and France. What is the vibe in Paris and France? Is it quite open-minded? Are they quite fluid in their thinking and, and futuristic? Or do you still find it quite difficult to have these conversations?
1: Um, I think that you can see a big difference in what is being told in the mainstream media, on the TV and the radio, and what you can read on Twitter, for example, or on Instagram. I would say that the mainstream media is quite conservative, and the complete opposite is happening in uh, social media, where um, people, and for example, the Gen Z is quite open when it comes to uh, sexuality and economics and um, class as well so it's a split that is happening I think in a lot of countries and it's inter- interesting to see it happened in uh, France.
0: Yeah that's really interesting and so if, you, if you're comfortable talking about it mm-hmm. um, how did the Black Lives Matter movement affect you and the work that you're doing and the the activist in you? Um, I know being in the UK there was at least if I can talk from a UK kind of perspective especially being online similar to what you've said the mass media was showing a complete different picture and then you went on Instagram and Twitter and people were of course horrified and they wanted to stand up for change but then you went on LinkedIn and businesses weren't talking about what they should have spoken about they were very much keeping it PG-13 and 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 discussing their revenue and their profit shares. Um, but I know that there was quite an awakening for many people. Now, talking about this in August, September, I'm not sure if the same amount of effort that was once was is currently, uh, you know, still still occurring. But I do know that the conversations within friendship groups and around the dinner table are still happening. What What was the vibe like there, and especially for you?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the vibe in France was quite similar to the one you just described in the UK, in the sense that there was an awareness first, um, but also a lot of denial when it comes to the situation of black people and uh, underrepresented minority in general in France. Um, to relate to my experience as a woman in tech, um, talking about the, the French scene and the French uh, ecosystem, um, you can see that there are a lot of initiatives to strive to diversity within the, the, the French ecosystem. You have a lot of mentorship programs and um, strategies that are put into place. But the way I see it, um, underrepresented minorities are over-mentored and not really under uh, underinvested. And I think that's the same that is happening when it comes to uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You have a lot of mentorship um, initiatives that are put in place, but there is little that is done into actually retaining, because for me, diversity, equity, and inclusion start with actually retaining the people that are diverse within your company and within your team, and then hiring um, people from diverse background, not only race, but also from different class per se, gender, and so on and so forth. Yeah,
0: I completely agree with you. As someone who leads a DEI consultancy in, in the UK, which is global, facilitates workshops, this is a narrative especially that we um, have been hearing from companies. And I always say, and maybe you kind of you know agree or disagree, that we should be hiring now for value fit, not for culture fit. Um, you know, being a South Asian woman in technology, the culture I come from and the culture I'm going to is never going to be similar or you know never might be a harsh statement but it's is often not similar to that of a middle-class white woman mm-hmm. who may be an and then obviously a middle-class white man mm-hmm. and you know forget even the the class system just a just a white man for example it's going to be so different to the culture that I that I see myself progressing and attaining in um and I definitely think that tech still has a long way to go uh, we have only started these conversations on the surface, and yet there was a great conversation I had a couple of weeks ago, and a question was raised. And the question was, at what point is your team uh, big enough for you not to have a woman, or at what point is your team big enough not for you to have a diverse um, colleague? And you know, it really does make sense. You know, if we if we want to create real change, impactful change. What you've spoken about, not only the hiring, but the retaining and the growth, we need to start from the bottom up, but it's the leaders and the senior leaders who have the most decision making power. So we need to get them on board, and often they're the ones who don't even know that there's a problem.
1: Yeah, I'm not even sure that they are not aware that there is a problem or maybe they think that the problem is not affecting the bottom line, but there are countless of studies that shows that in diversity increase, uh, the margin, whenever you have people from diverse background or even women from diverse backgrounds, uh, you have more uh, profits in the end. So I think that it's time to take this issue seriously, because if you consider that we live in a capitalist society, um, you're, and then that you are working for your stakeholders and shareholders... Not having people from diverse background within your team and on your board is actually doing a disfavor to your stakeholders and shareholders.
0: This is a conversation I have very often and and data points that I quote um all the time. but you know something I've realized, especially in the u k is there are tons of organizations that have founded themselves based on community and based on charity who are looking to change the structure, and really impact d n i um, but unless you get your legal structure right, it's very difficult. So an example being, I currently run a CAC. So in the UK, that's a community interest company. Okay. which a profit. It's a social enterprise. But mm-hmm. because it's not a charity, just this week, I've lost out on three different organizations and businesses who are not willing to invest because we don't have a charity status, though we, you know, um, though we run as if we're a charity. And I think there's a lot of barriers, is what I'm trying to say, uh, barriers being put up and, and, you know, not not providing the accessibility that, that should be there.
1: Yes, I completely agree. Um, I'm not sure about the structure uh, in, in France in the sense that you can also create a charity or a social enterprise. Um, but I think that it's really hard to create a business that is sustainable in France because, the way you will find, uh, you, you will go about finding new customers or partners is really, um, um, how can I say that? Um, it's not accessible to everybody. You have a lot of business that is done um, ha- taking coffee or having drinks, so it's uh, not really open and transparent way to go about networking. I would say that makes sense.
0: So just going back to um, kind of what, what we started with mm-hmm. do you mind going a little bit into your fashion
1: career and then how you did a 180 to tech and why so I started working in fashion in 2011 I did an internship at Yves Saint Laurent which is a famous uh, French uh, luxury house and the reason why I got into fashion is that I always wanted to learn what was behind the scene I was always attracted to uh, the glamour and uh yeah all the 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 luxury that you can see on tv on the ads on the radio and on social media at the time um so i applied and i didn't have any kind of connection i just went and i think that because i was so excited and uh yeah my enthusiasm got me the the internship so that's how i get i got into uh, that uh, company and then following that, I was able to have other experiences at Balenciaga as well as Burberry. Uh, and I work in the headquarters in London. And after that, I have been like going back and forth between France and uh, the UK and also Netherlands. And I realized that um, also I love fashion. I loved fashion at the time. I, I wasn't really getting uh, the knowledge and the skills um, that uh, I was craving for because I was always curious and always learning new things. And I realized that I, I reached uh, some kind of a plateau. Um, so I came back to France and um, I applied uh, to a job at Apple um, just on a whim. Um, not really thinking that I would got in. And it was the same enthusiasm that I used getting my first experience in Yves Saint Laurent that got me the job as well at Apple. Um, so I'm saying that to say that you don't need to have connection because a lot of people think that getting into these big fashion houses of big uh, tech companies, you need to have either connection or you need to be super smart or something. If you're really passionate and enthusiastic about the companies that you work for you want to work with you can get in
0: yeah that's great advice mm-hmm. um absolutely great advice and i think it's such important advice right now given the time that we're in with the education system with uh, you know job losses globally we we are now heading into another recession and and most likely a, a worse re- recession than than was before um and the point that you made you know you applied on a whim And just let your passion speak for you, I think is extremely crucial because there's so many people out there and so many of our listeners who think you have to have everything in order. You have to have a business plan. You need to know what you're doing. But actually, you don't often need to know what you're doing, per se, but you need to know where you can add value and and where your strengths are, really. Um, Being both in fashion and in tech, were you ever the only kind of person in the room? Um, For example, being a South Asian woman in tech, I found myself being the only South Asian woman in the room more times than I can count. Um, And there were times where it was intimidating, where I wasn't taken seriously. But but ultimately, it it helped me to realise what my stance should be and, and how important role models are.
1: Um, Yes I was always the only one black woman at the time and I would say that five years ago I was actually the only young black woman whenever I was working at Apple or working in fashion Uh, and like you as well um, as first I saw that actually um, as um, a drawback I would say Um, but now I think it came with time. I realized that it could be my strength because whenever I got into a room, I would say that I'm hard to miss because I'm tall. Uh, I have my French accent. So either you find it a little bit funny or you have difficulties understanding me. So either way, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. And uh, yeah, there are not a lot of people that look like me at the time. I'm hoping that there will be more in the future Um, I'm doing everything I can to do so Um, but um, yeah um, I think that you don't need to see that uh, as something that will prevent you to move further in your career the people that don't take you seriously because of the way you look who you are you don't need to strive to convince them to like you because either way they they won't because they don't show that kind of open-mindedness that is needed to uh, relates to people um, but um, I think it's important to try to see um, to try to use your weaknesses and turn them into a strength mm.
0: but I definitely think that there's a level of you have the confidence and you've taken the alternative approach right which is I don't see someone that looks like me so I'm going to be that person. What would your advice be for those who maybe don't have that confidence or often feel like an imposter? Um, I, know, I know, you know, 66% of women do and that number is higher when you put it into an industry-specific spe- uh, field. What can they be doing? But also us individuals who are slightly more confident, what can we be doing to open up the doors for others?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, I'm not confident at all. I think that I have the imposter syndrome um, actually, I read an article that said that women from underrepresented backgrounds, they are more likely to have imposter syndrome. I think that everybody has an imposter syndrome at some point. Uh, you wouldn't be, I don't know, I think it would be you would be delusional to not have it, to not doubt yourself when you start something new or enter a new path or start a new career. Uh, I think that it's a, a feeling that is staying with you throughout your career and you need to... Recognize it, and not try to master it, but be okay with it showing up at some point. It shows that you're uh, doing something new, and it's okay to have it. Um, yeah, that's how actually I try to uh, d- to uh, sorry. That's actually the, the how I try to navigate my career, not having everything figured out, and listen to my gut as I go along. Yeah,
0: I think that's such I think there's a lot of gems that you're sharing here today. And ultimately, you know, we've we've spoken quite a bit. But if we were to start wrapping it up and, and bringing it to a place where you could leave with, you know, your kind of words of wisdom or advice that you would give your younger self, what do you think that would sound or or feel like now?
1: Um, I think that if you are a woman in fashion or in tech, there is spec- an expectation from you to be quite complacent, unfortunately, selfless and content with who you are and kind of you have to know your place um, as, a, as a young woman. But it's okay to have ambition, to say it and to be ruthless into wherever you want to go. So basically to have high standards and that there are people that are going to be uh, rugged the wrong way by that, and that's okay. Um, everybody is a product of your environment, also. That's important to own your story. I'm a young woman, I'm black, I come from um, and an underrepresented minority, and uh, I know what is implied, and um, it. And I have. Uh, I'm sorry, and I have. Um, um, a willingness to uh, go further with my career. Well,
0: thank you so much. And if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, find out more about you, or subscribe to the newsletter, how can they find you? And what are your
1: social platforms? Uh, you can reach me out on LinkedIn um, and also on Instagram. So my handle is Gael Coutou, uh, G A E L C O U T O U. And you can find me on both uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter.
0: Thank you for listening to Strategically Winning It. My name is Sonia Barlow. I'm the host of this podcast, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If you'd like this show, please do subscribe, like, and share. If you'd like to be on the podcast, just drop us a direct message on our Twitter or Instagram, which is at Sonia Barlow UK.